This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. At the 1992 Barcelona Olympics, the landscape of international basketball has changed forever. While enthusiasts, from the casual to the fanatical, invariably associate basketball of the 92 games with those dozen NBA-slash-NCAA superstars of Team USA, plenty more was going on outside the spotlight on the Dream Team. The mountain of attention given that Team USA ultimately obfuscated the stories of two other teams that were the end product of 20th century history and who played hoops comparably excellently, as did the Dream Team. So while many observers might have been blinded by the brilliance of Michael and Magic and Larry and Sir Charles and the rest, at least a couple other filmmakers were paying attention enough to pay homage to those other historically significant basketball teams of the 1992 Olympics, and 20 years later, to create a pair of films which capture incredibly that once-in-a-lifetime basketball played at those Olympic Games. My name is Oz Davis, and this is Truly the Goats, sports history as told through its superstars. Like any Olympic Games, the Games of the 25th Olympiad in 1992 produced their share of greatness and achievement, beginning with the unique and dramatic lighting of the Olympic torch, which was ignited by flaming arrow shot by Spanish Paralympic archer Antonio Rivalo. As for the games themselves, Vitaly Sherbo of Belarus won six gold medals in gymnastics, setting an individual record. Kristina Egerseki of Hungary won three gold medals in swimming, and her national team's 30 medals made the country number one overall in medals per capita. Former dominant force of weightlifting Vasily Alexiev returned in a coaching capacity and led the united team of former Soviet republics to five golds, four silvers, and a bronze over the ten weight classes. The nearest team in medal count was Bulgaria, four. Baseball debuted as an Olympic sport, with Cuba, Taiwan, and Japan winning medals in what was once America's pastime. Fu Mingjia of China won a gold medal in diving at the age of 13, and Jennifer Capriotti of the U.S. won gold in women's singles tennis at the age of 16. Susie Susanti and Alan Booty Kusuma in the women's and men's badminton singles became the first ever gold medal winners for Indonesia. Similarly, Yael Arad and Oren Shmaida became the first ever female and male medal winners for Israel, both in judo. And in terms of the competing nations themselves, the games of the 25th Olympiad reflected clearly the geopolitical changes that had rocked Europe and the world since the 24th. For the 1992 Olympics, 
post-apartheid South Africa competed for the first time since 1960, with President Nelson Mandela in attendance, no less. Team Germany was unified, certainly much to the chagrin of their competitors, after competing as separate West and East German teams since 1956. Gone was Yugoslavia, winners of 14 medals in 1988 games, including the gold in water polo and silvers in men's and women's basketball. Instead, Slovenia, Bosnia-Herzegovina, and Croatia field independent teams. And most significantly, Team USSR, who'd taken a ridiculous 132 medals, still a record, at the 1988 Olympic Games, was no more. Latvia, Estonia, and Lithuania fielded independent teams, while the remaining 12 Soviet republics formed the unified team. But without a doubt, the collective imagination at that Olympics was captured by the Dream Team, itself an entity that would have been impossible prior to the International Olympic Committee's decision to open the Games to professional athletes. In a sense, the 1992 men's basketball competition was perhaps most representative of geopolitical change among the Olympic sports. Team USA's supremacy was akin to the coming wave of America-fueled neoliberalism about to wash over Europe and the Asian Pacific. Meanwhile, the second and third place finishers of Croatia and Lithuania boasted six current or future NBA players combined, representative of the internationally flavored league to come. In 1991, 23 foreign-born players were listed on NBA rosters. By 2000, this had jumped to 57. By 2007, this was up to 109, a 374% increase over five Olympiads. On this episode of Truly the Goats, we're taking a slightly different tack. While a future episode may yet focus on the phenomenon of the one and only Dream Team, this time I'm borrowing from another of my co-produced podcasts, Game Film. Because if you can't steal from yourself, who can you steal from? What follows are reviews of three documentaries, which together make one excellent trilogy on basketball at the 1992 Olympic Games. <laughs> the greatest team ever put together. It was groundbreaking, certainly. It's pretty amazing. It is hard to imagine. It's been 20 years. In my mind, I was I was hoping and thinking they would not ask me to participate. It was a no-brainer for me. <laughs> you know, I was in from day one. Then I looked at it and said, wow, you know, how often do you get the chance to play against and play with these guys? You can't get too close to Mike with five. <laughs> I was in heaven from the moment I stepped on the floor with those guys. They called them the big guns. I didn't feel like that I deserved to be there. I truly wasn't going to tell them that. <laughs> if we lose, it's going to be like the biggest upset in sports history. Chuck did an outstanding job. As a coach, he's in a no-win situation. If you win, you're not going to get any credit. If you lose, all the wrath is going to fall right on, on top of your head. They brought in these college kids, and they just they came in and kicked our butts. I think that right there woke us up. I didn't select anybody, OK? So if you wasn't chosen, shut the hell up. I don't think we wanted to be on the team if he was on the team. We're enemies. That first couple days of practice, the tone was set that, hey, these practices are going to be wars. Carl Malone jumps up like this. Barkley just dunked on him so hard. It was just an unbelievable play. 
Our practice was better than the games. Michael Jordan called quiet out and went at him. Tell him, this is what I'm going to do to you. Fall away jumper. Good. What did I tell you? You're in there with the best. You better bring your game right now. So then I came down. You know I had to get mine in. Charles, how you like that ass kicking we gave you? Oh, no, no, no. Come on now. Once we got to Barcelona, it was a full-blown spectacle. People perceived us as being superheroes. I had to enjoy the Olympic experience. This team affected people in such a way that I've never seen ever. What we did would go down in history as one of the biggest things that ever, ever happened and won't ever be duplicated. eventually there'd be a movie made about the dream team to say that the spartanly titled nba tv produced work the dream team is loaded with awesome basketball highlights would be understated to say that the editing is slick and production values high would be cliche but whoa do those statements make for a neat encapsulation of what the dream team has to offer Nearly 30 years after the team smoked the Olympic competition, Team USA basketball, both men's and women's sides, have been pigeonholed into a lose-lose situation by the American public. If they win, it's expected. If they lose, the ranting about selfish superstars losing to inferior competition begins. The more politically extreme on the left are equally put off, even retroactively, by the literal embarrassment of riches, an NBA all-star team whose lifetime earnings may outdo the GDP of some nations whose team the Americans are smoking off the court. All fair enough, but the truth is, damn did that dream team play some absolutely gorgeous basketball. Almost dreamlike, one would say. The NBA TV documentary The Dream Team the league's attempt to capture the ephemera of what was, for a couple of weeks in the summer of 1992, the sports version of Beatlemania. In this respect, it's no surprise at all that the film often feels rushed at under 70 minutes. I mean, how can one capture everything the international public could possibly want to know about these 12 players and their coach Chuck Daly in that amount of time? plus side to the short run of time is that not one second of film is wasted. There's enough fresh material to please the most ardent students of basketball history, and deeper dives into certain aspects of the Dream Team mythology, such as the decision to exclude Detroit putting bad boy Isaiah Thomas from the roster. And again, the basketball. The selling point of this documentary for NBA TV on its release in 2016 was the promise of footage from certain closed-door scrimmages. Time is given to the famous Lost the Dreams took to a select team of college players led by Chris Webber and Bobby Hurley, as well as the thumping they doled out the following day. We also get some, not nearly enough, mind you, of the famed greatest basketball game ever played, pitting MJ, Bird, Scottie Pippen, Patrick Ewing, and Chris Mullen against Magic, Barkley, Stockton and Malone, and David Robinson. Talk about wanting more. Do you think the NBA will release the rest of that footage in 2022, the team's 30th anniversary? If nothing else, NBA TV's The Dream Team may be definitive proof that one can never have too much of a good thing. get back to the truly the goats podcast in just a moment but first i'd like to take a minute to tell you about quite possibly the greatest website of all time newspapers.com 
If you're listening to this podcast or any of them at the Sports History Network, you're probably into sports history. And you probably also know that for learning about anything prior to, say, 1990 online, the typical search engines like are nearly completely useless. But then there's newspapers.com. Newspapers.com gives you access to over 640 million pages worth of news from North America, Britain, Ireland, and more, dating from 1798 to last week. Do up a search for Super Bowl One, the 36th Berlin Olympics, Wayne Gretzky's first game, whatever. Newspapers.com takes you there with historical flavor that search engines like just don't give you. And now get a free one-week subscription to Newspapers.com by visiting SportsHistoryNetwork.com slash newspapers. With a paid subscription, you'll also be helping to support the production of this podcast and other Sports History Network shows. That's SportsHistoryNetwork.com slash newspapers. Newspapers.com. Way better for searches than you know what I'm talking about. At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop, check out the thousands more of unique Unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com, R-O-W number one, for access to the full Row One catalog and for gallery prints and gift items, plus get a 15% discount off all prints on the Row One Pictorum Gallery with coupon code SHN15. Follow the link on the show notes. Twenty years ago, I was part of one of the best basketball teams in history, the Yugoslavia national team. You may remember us, me, Tony Kukoc, Dražen Petrovic. Breakaway, Petrovic. Oh, what a pass! What a pass! In 1988, we won the silver medal at the Olympics. Two years later, we won gold at the World Championships, ahead of Soviets and the Americans. In the summer of 1989, I was drafted by NBA's Los Angeles Lakers. Dražen had been drafted by Portland. 4-3, got it! Ivac fumbled it, recovered, and hit! We were two young guys from a small town in Yugoslavia coming to play with Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, and Michael Jordan. This is as good as being home, he said. Unfortunately, it all would come crashing down. could be a full-fledged uh, civil war in Yugoslavia with uh, significant bloodshed and significant loss of life. I used to be very close with the Vlade, Divac, and we used to talk every, almost every second day, but right, right now... To build a friendship, it takes years, but to destroy it, it's just one second. In my mind, I always thought that one day the war would end and Drajan and I would sit down and talk. But that day never came. I figured now it was time to find out what happened. Find out what happened to my team, to my friends, to my brothers.
The 30 for 30 original series documentary, Once Brothers, isn't specifically a story of Team Croatia basketball in 1992, and in fact, can sometimes seem like a bit of a Vladi Divac reclamation project. But the backstory, and to some extent the events thereafter, are absolutely essential to understanding the importance and greatness of a team that was beaten by the Dream Team, but not by the dissolution of its country. Looming over everything, including Divac's motivation for narrating and, let's face it, starring in the film, is the tragic story of quite possibly the greatest European basketball player ever, Drazen Petrovic. The film begins with a clip of the man they called in Europe, the basketball Mozart. You've had a lot on your mind this season with all the conflict going on in Yugoslavia. Has that been difficult for you? Yeah, it's been real difficult. I mean, civil war in Croatia, and uh, you got to stay tough and uh, play, do your job here, and uh, play the basketball, and uh, be on the phone every day to see, you know, your friends how they're doing, and uh, my family still over there. Are you close with any of the other Yugoslavian players in the league? I used to, I used to be very close with the Vlade Divac, mm -hmm. and we used to talk every, almost every second day, but right, right now. I saw him a couple of weeks when we played in LA, we talked for quite a while and uh, that's it. Whereas the Dream Team's major difficulties lay primarily in managing egos and avoiding the admiring throngs of fans, Team Croatia was closer to a living geopolitical statement in the midst of bloody internal conflict. The country formerly known as Yugoslavia as an entity had effectively dissolved with the crumbling communist power structures. And by 1991, Croatia was at war with Serbia, a war which would divide the team both figuratively and literally. Film director Michael Tolayian told Serbian media early in production, the team Yugoslavia players who had been very close, quote, stopped talking and the nationalist rhetorics in both countries must have influenced them, just like many other friends and colleagues at the time, even family members. All nationalism and rhetoric aside, formation of Team Croatia was a way for the new country, recognized by the European Union and United Nations just six and a half months before the Olympics opening ceremonies, to use basketball to carve out its place in the international consciousness. And carve Team Croatia did. They're not quite the dominant force who'd won the 1988 FIBA World Championship, who'd taken silver at the 1988 Olympics and won the 1989 Eurobasket Tournament as Yugoslavia. The roster did not include the Serbians, Divac and Sharko Pospalia, but still boasted players like Petrovic, Tony Kukoc, Dino Raja, and Velimir Perasovic. And in Barcelona in 1992, it was enough for most of the world. As it so happens, Croatia went 6-0 in all games not involved in the USA, winning by an average of 15 points per game. In contrast to the Dream Team documentary, which was so much about the great players forming new connections on the court and off, Once Brothers plays more like the story of a team dissolved. Formerly simple relationships based on becoming better basketball players, sadly falling prey to political events and a single moment in which Divac lost his mind to create a schism with his former Yugoslavia teammates. Once Brothers may be looked upon as the story of a great basketball team, or two, really. It can be viewed as Petrovic's what-if story, or even the what-if story of a unified Team Yugoslavia facing off against that dream team. But perhaps to look at the movie in those fashions would be a disservice. Because 
Beyond the glitz and glitter, the blood and rhetoric, Once Brothers is a human story, which just happens to be told within the world of basketball. Imagine having to compete for another country, knowing that since 1940, the Russians have occupied and destroyed every bit of hope. Lithuania's push toward freedom was as essential as the push against the Berlin Wall. The independence flag is flying all over Lithuania. The 1992 opening ceremony at Barcelona is one of the cosmic turning points of the 20th century. If you were one of those rare Americans put off by the whole dream team ethic, then it was an easy choice who you were going to root for. All of a sudden, Lithuania is sitting there with their independence, a nation that's completely bankrupt. One of the local beat writers over the Bay Area wrote a little story that was read by the Grateful Dead. The Grateful Dead were big basketball fans. Jerry's like, we're all about freedom and celebration. Basically, we want to help you guys. They cut us a big check and sent a box of tie-dye t-shirts with Lithuanian colors. So that's the way we entered the Olympics. To finally be free and to, to be able to see your own flag uh, raised at moments of triumph. The final game against Russia, live or die. The whole nation was watching. You, know, you have to destroy them. At any cost, you have to win. It was national pride, something what we dreamed. You're involved with something that's bigger than just sports, bigger than just rock and roll. Freedom, let's go. In Lithuania, it was a different kind of dream. It was the dream of a nation. The Dream Team documentary is badass. One's brothers is melancholy. But the other Dream Team, an independently produced work telling of Team Lithuania in 1992, well, it starts melancholy gets to badass, but is ultimately all about the joy of basketball. As in Once Brothers, the other dream team traces the roots of Team Lithuania 1992 back to the pre-World War II period, just prior to the subsumation of the country by the Soviet Union. For decades thereafter, we are reminded, the internationally feared Team USSR basketball usually featured superstar Lithuanians. This culminated in the Soviet team of 1988, the team that beat Team USA without need of referee assistance and thus changed Olympic basketball forever with four starters from Lithuania. And from those 1988 games, the other dream team, just like the Soviet Union itself, jackknifes into surreality at lightning speed. Sarunas Marjolinas debuts in the NBA with the Golden State Warriors. Lithuania declares independence. Citizens beat back a subsequent military occupancy by the Soviets. The country is recognized as a full-fledged country by the UN, but the new nation is born strapped for cash. Marcellinus gets an idea. 
which he takes to Warriors assistant Donnie Nelson, who connects Savunas with the Bay Area hippie mainstay, the Grateful Dead, because of course he did. And the rest, as they say, is sports history. Fun, optimistic, inspirational sports history that dazzles the eye. Jim Lampley and Bill Walton are also on hand, though the connections to the Warriors or Lithuania is pretty minimal. Lampley was a commentator for NBC in Barcelona for those Olympics, and Walton may have been to a Grateful Dead concert once or twice, but let's face it, these two are mostly cheerleaders for the team Lithuania cause, infectiously exhorting us to enjoy these tie-dyed ballers. Until that bronze medal game against the unified team, of course. Now that was serious. And since the other dream team has masterfully framed 50 years of history as a lead-up to this 40 minutes of basketball, the documentary delivers with a denouement that's as good as anything scripted. Director Marius Markovicius and his production team deserve no end of credit for bringing this amazing bit of basketball lore to the screen, thus preserving a story that otherwise might have been forever forgotten. I come back to this informal trilogy of mine every few years, usually around the time of the Olympics or Eurobasket tournament, and I highly recommend watching three as such, particularly if you've never seen one or more of the set. It's not necessary to watch the films in order, podium finish, or, or any special order, come to think of it, but the combined experience of these three documentaries makes for a sum total much, much greater than the parts. See, particularly in the U.S., it's all too easy to view basketball in the 1992 Olympics as all about the dream team, and to view that Team USA's 14-game run as a fixed point in time, as an interesting confluence of events notable primarily as the first of its kind. But sports history geeks like me know that this viewpoint just ain't so. And watching the Dream Team, Once Brothers, and the other Dream Team in short order reveals the deeper significance of those Barcelona Olympic Games played a generation ago. Certain motifs run through the three films, unifying them in theme. There's the influence the Dream Team wrought worldwide, of course, but as important was the affirmation in Lithuania that the country's profound love for basketball was utterly justified. Much of the other Dream Team is devoted to the NBA debut of Jonas Valanciunas, a storyline that seems superfluous until we are reminded that he was born in 1992 and grew up never knowing a world in which his countrymen played for Russia. There are also stories of willpower. Lithuania, Croatia, and the USA all entered the 1992 games with a sense of imperative to reclaim national identity. Lithuania sought to put itself back on the map and to reveal that it was they, not the Russians, who had been giving the world nightmares since at least 1972. Croatia played for hope, stripped of teammates who had been cast aside essentially overnight as politicians pushed the polemics of genocidal war. And the Dream Team sought to reclaim supremacy in basketball, not merely a game, but one of the single greatest contributions to human culture the USA has ever made. Through war and peace, hope and despair, hype and hyperbole, this unofficial 1992 Olympic basketball trilogy hits on all levels of life, the proverbial thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Plus, the actual basketball is pretty freaking awesome too. This has been Truly the Goats, a Sports History Network podcast. 
To find us online, visit trulythegoats.com. On Twitter and Facebook, we're at trulythegoats. For more like-minded shows, be sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com. Like the man says, it's your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. For anyone interested in watching the movies featured in this episode, The Dream Team is available via the NBA TV platforms. Once Brothers, part of ESPN's 30 for 30 series, may be seen through ESPN Plus platforms. Finally, The Other Dream Team may be rented through Amazon Prime, Google Play, or YouTube TV. The Truly the Goats theme song is Fun on Street, greatest remix of all time, and is produced by David Liso of Dynamo Stairs. Music in this episode includes Sport Break and Dream Team by Serge Quadrado, both used through free use agreement via freemusicarchive.org, Requiem by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart and arranged by Ferenc Liszt for piano, available for free download at museopen.org, and Darkstar, the Kaleidoscope Jukebox Rebuild, used with permission of Kaleidoscope Jukebox Music. This is Oz Davis for Truly the Goats and the Sports History Network saying, see you in Paris. And always keep always, perspective. 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 Always, perspective.